volume two chapter nine of the rebel rose by justin mccarthy and rosa campbell prayed this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine sir victor's master a slight lull occurred at lady saxon's table while the little passage at arms took place between sir victor and the duke of nornside bellarmin noticed that though lady saxon smiled sweetly upon the archbishop and interjected an occasional remark into his somewhat florid dissertation upon recent archaeological discoveries in central america her attention was strained and she was in reality listening to the conversation at the other table bellarmin too followed it with interest and was for a few moments scarcely so ready in his replies to the frank confidences of his transatlantic neighbor as he had been at the beginning of dinner he was particularly struck by the few sentences which lord saxon uttered and by the general manner of his host which somehow to-night seemed to suggest a greater depth and reality in the man than his demeanour ordinarily indicated bellarmin had never known much of lord saxon personally he had always avoided him having got the idea perhaps truly enough that lord saxon avoided him he had made up his mind that lord saxon was haughty self-opinionated and rude but quite lately he had found himself beginning to change his opinion it was clear to him that lord saxon liked to be talked to by those who knew how to talk frankly and unaffectedly and thus to encourage him in talking in the only way he could talk frankly and unaffectedly it seemed to bellarmin that one explanation of that reserve in lord saxon which so many people took to be pride and sullenness was found in the fact that for lord saxon there was no alternative but frank unaffected talk or complete and stolid silence to-night he found himself curiously drawn towards lord saxon it would be well he found himself thinking for the man who should win and hold lord saxon's friendship and the woman who had won his love if she should lose it these thoughts were in bellarmin's mind as the ladies passed out of the dining-room it was plain that for some reason or other sir victor champion had kept lord saxon out of his confidence with regard to the move he was about to make the question which seemed very doubtful indeed to bellarmin was whether the disclosure when it came would not come too late for saxon whether his loyalty to champion would stand so much of a strain whether he would not feel that he had been deliberately deceived and would not renounce the political companionship of a leader who had thus slighted him bellarmin thought of his own feelings the other day and he felt somewhat in sympathy with lord saxon had even a sort of compassion for him there was talk of sir victor champion in the drawing-room among the ladies lady mavis redhouse reproached her hostess half banteringly half in earnest for placing her in such close proximity to her political arch-enemy lady mavis was a dame of high degree in the primrose league she had all the courage of her opinions and sometimes even flaunted the primrose skirt she was poor and proud and her good looks were waning she had been for some years a widow and had apartments in hampton court she had been a great politician and professed to have carried two counties and three boroughs by her own personal exertions she detested the radicals of whom she believed sir victor to be the chief but tolerated the whigs 
declared a certain admiration for lord saxon as being a man of principle and at heart one of themselves she was a professional diner out and never refused an invitation to this particular house because though she inveighed against lady saxon's political eclecticism in the matter of her guests she was as likely to meet a conservative as a liberal and on the whole thought it advisable to embrace opportunities for encounter with wavering partisans on both sides for she liked to be talked of as a wire-puller people were glad to have her because she was amusing in her way and she was an aristocratic institution and would not go to the house of a newly enriched or ennobled manufacturer or city man no not if his wife begged me on her bended knees my dear lady mavis said complacently i wonder what poor dear de carmel would have said she exclaimed pathetically she prided herself upon a close friendship with that late renowned tory chief he would have advised you to make the most of your opportunities replied lady saxon laughing poor lady mavis i must arrange to put you between two conservatives next time only think miss beaton the last time lady mavis lunched here she had the misfortune to sit beside mr tommy tressel mary smiled with grave graciousness but did not speak it was not her way to talk much in the company of ladies with whom she was not perfectly congenial tommy tressel is a jacobin said lady eastgrave i should hate him if he did not tell such amusing naughty stories but i know that he would put on the red cap in a minute and sentence us cheerfully to the guillotine he wants to do away with us like sir victor champion put in lady mavis savagely oh no softly interposed the foreign ambassador's wife who spoke english with scarcely an accent and was sweetly neutral in politics sir victor has the qualities of a statesman of course it is his wish to destroy something that is the way with them all when they are reformers but he is not a jacobin it is only the hereditary right is it not that he would do away with but and she threw up her pretty hands it is a grand power in england the aristocracy i am told that in private champion says he would be quite willing to do away with the church our church i have always suspected him of a leaning towards rome said the duchess of norenside he thinks it's too troublesome an undertaking though if he could find a man who would undertake knocking it to pieces quietly he would let him try just as if he were sending for a plumber cried lady mavis my dear lady saxon don't say anything to me in praise of such a wretch he is a wretch we all know it he must know it himself he can't help knowing it come now my husband was a colleague of his and i am sure you won't say lord saxon is a man to patronize wretches lady saxon said with a smile lady mavis shook her head oh, my dear lord saxon we'll find him out in time i always said so he will find him out very soon there will be a split up before long everyone says the wretch is planning some frightful stroke of policy now some horrible plot against his own sovereign and his own country i don't believe he could be happy if he were not doing something to degrade and dishonor his own country look abroad look anywhere nothing is felt but contempt and pity for us pity for england my dear because of that wicked man 
lady saxon on her part felt the most utter contempt for primrose league dames who talked and argued after this fashion but she had a secret pleasure in drawing the talk out sometimes and she was anxious for reasons of her own to get known as a votary of sir victor champion perhaps he doesn't mean to be wicked she suggested i give him credit for patriotism lady mavis but what is this great plot people are talking of she asked with a simplicity that seemed delightfully childish i don't believe there is anything of the kind lord saxon would have known and lord saxon would have told me lord saxon my dear lord saxon is the last person in the world sir victor would consult about a plot of that kind no it is his policy not to let lord saxon know anything about it until it bursts upon the world and lord saxon is no longer able to prevent it well you know everything that is going on i know most things lady mavis replied decidedly and so i think my dear do you all the same i fancy you are mistaken about this tell me why do people think sir victor is meditating any move why because he appears to be doing nothing don't you know that when children are perfectly quiet they are always at some mischief it is just the same with him months and months nothing or next to nothing has been heard of him writing essays on history they say essays on history indeed as if that sort of work would satisfy him or his master sir victor's master dear lady mavis whom do you mean the devil my dear who else everybody laughed except indeed miss beaton and just then the entrance of the servants with coffee put a stop for the moment to lady mavis's anathemas lady saxon moved about among her guests she talked with much cordiality to mary beaton and asked many questions about the visit to stonehenge park about sir victor champion about bellarmine but mary was grave and reticent she could not have defined the feeling which made her shrink from discussing these two men with lady saxon but it was very distinctly present with her lady struthers felt gratified by the demeanour of her young mistress this stately grace reflected credit upon herself and was in every way befitting a stuart princess mm -hmm. certainly no one would that evening have suspected the strain of frolic and dare devilry which was a part of mary's nature in truth the girl's mood bordered upon melancholy she was a little bewildered too her experience of english society had so far been limited but she found nothing in it that harmonized with her temperament the want of reality oppressed her she seemed to be assisting at a mask in which each had a part to play and wore a costume appropriate to the part she felt a momentary scorn of her own part and her own costume what man or woman with one grain of poetic instinct with one ray of ideal craving has not felt the same when moving in the world of so-called pleasure the women were narrow and artificial walled round by the prejudices of their order of the political creed to which they had been born knowing no language but the shibboleth that prevailed in their own particular circle she had already discovered that unmeasured reprobation of sir victor champion was a characteristic of certain phases of english society she had not expected to find it here in the house of his colleague and friend 
was sincerity an impossibility with people such as these did convictions mean nothing was loyalty to a leader only a profession on the floor of the house of commons by and by the conversation drifted on to current gossip and scandal to the talk at pratt's on a society night as retailed to lady eastgrave so she said by her husband she was careful to inform the company generally that he had gone off suddenly on a short yachting excursion she was sure that everybody must be wondering that he was not with her this evening the old duchess of nornside murmured maliciously that this view of the subject had not occurred to her and lady mavis redhouse whispered to miss beaton that she supposed lady eastgrave wanted them all to believe that the little difference about count kenya had been squared the american beauty who had not long been over and was in the first modest flush of success did not want to seem too green and appealed to lady struthers as to what was quite the smart thing to do under given social contingencies with a frank directness that called forth the eloquence of that authority on court usages the gentleman came in while lady eastgrave was giving her views upon a political conversation at which she had been assisting and where a certain lady eleonora fitzgriffin had made a long radical speech in which she proclaimed that the sun of england's liberty and progress was rising from the borough of northampton lady mavis shook her head good gracious i don't know what we're coming to oh yes lady eastgrave continued and several members of parliament made wild speeches and one man was invited to make a speech on the strength of his having been a defeated candidate for a provincial borough why i have a cousin who actually goes in for provincial politics and is standing for the town council of manchester manchester is rather low form but we must all begin in the provinces you know lady eastgrave said the handsome guardsman who was thinking of going on the stage it seems to me said lady mavis that we get everything from the provinces nowadays the picture buyers come from liverpool the heiresses from leeds and the new peers from burton-on-trent i sat at dinner next to a man from birmingham last night and he assured me that nobody ever is born in london now people all come up from the provinces sir victor found an opportunity of coming up to lady saxon and saying a few words for her private understanding everything is going well i want you to know that and i shall have bellarmine with me i am sure thanks to you for that i am working for you lady saxon reddened under his earnest look so deeply did the look and the word of recognition touch her for the moment she forgot her jealousy her vague distrust you will have more than mr bellarmin with you i hope she added quickly and glanced towards the part of the room where her husband was standing you hope so you think so i am not so certain but if it should be as you think then it will be your doing also no he believes in me but he believes in you too trusts you thinks it impossible that you could have any project on foot about which you had not consulted him he is stupid ah stupid enough to kill one with boredom but he has a sort of loyalty it's in the blood it's one of the privileges you radicals can't dispoil them of victor there is something in race after all could i ever deny it he exclaimed with low-toned warmth 
the courage of race the loyalty and chivalrous sense of honour the noblesse oblige traditions who could deny that such things be he glanced involuntarily in the direction of mary beaton it seemed to lady saxon's jealous heart that he unconsciously indicated this girl as the inheritress and the embodiment of true nobility she lost command over herself for a moment i understand she said you have been studying the qualities of race at the very fountainhead i forgot for the moment that you had just come from the camp of the legitimists tell me are you too captivated by the charms of our young pretendress she has a long list of admirers i hear bellarmine lord stonehenge the ex-prime minister in good truth the young lady has cause to be proud of her list of victims or should we say her suitors champion's steady gaze did not falter before the flash of lady saxon's eyes as he answered quietly miss beaton could hardly fail to interest even a man so preoccupied as i am but you josephine know that there is one woman who claims my warmest regard yet you are so cold unemotional she whispered passionately your letter the other day it was the letter of a diplomatist not of a of a man of heart must i still must i be always a sacrifice to policy no a trusted comrade a woman who can for the moment put love in the second place you gave england the first place remember our compact at this crisis you would not have me anything but reserved in my letters to lord saxon's wife she changed her tone at once victor yes i will keep to our compact but i am a woman she gave her shoulders a little impatient shrug and moved towards a picture on an easel which stood in a more distant part of the room she appeared to be pointing out its beauties to him while she spoke in a low rapid tone you must speak to saxon as soon as possible if he guessed that bellarmin had been sounded that tressel had your confidence your hope of him would be at an end and it is in the atmosphere you know how whispers are carried by the birds of the air the papers are full of it there is a rumour that the tories want to forestall you speak to him at once vaguely at first get his promise he will be a drag on the wheel of course but trust to time and to me i suppose you are right i have no doubt you are right said sir victor i will speak to him yes the opportunity may occur this evening better here than in the house of commons yes i am going to the d'estables ball when these people have left will you come on there afterwards victor i at the d'estables ball that isn't in my line i am afraid no let us meet to-morrow at the house and take a turn on the terrace she gave a little nod of assent it is quite as well that we should be seen together especially there she said it will give a sort of contradiction to these rumours of a split between you and saxon she moved away and began to talk to the archbishop sir victor too passed on and seated himself beside mary beaton lady saxon fell into a mood of sullenness which was shown clearly enough on her face it was only for a moment however she recovered herself and her smiles and was the brilliant hostess the coquettish beauty once again bellarmine was by miss beaton's side 
the young man's heart had been heavy within him during the evening but he smiled and jested and uttered complimentary nothings as men and women do in the great world even when the fox is gnawing their vitals he had scarcely talked to mary that evening until now and even the little interchange of commonplaces which had first passed between them had seemed to his guilty conscience a treason to her and a treason to lady saxon now they spoke of stonehenge park and of the roses and the lilies and the walled garden and the still lake and of the almost conventual calm which seemed to have settled over everything there and which had such a soothing effect upon those who came within its influence mary spoke with tender regret of the pleasure monsignor valmy's conversation had given her and of the services in lord stonehenge's beautiful oratory it was a trait in the young man's character that while he professed all the modern materialism he loved to indulge a certain devotional tendency by dropping in occasionally at the catholic churches while the mass was going on the sacred music the tapers and flowers and swaying censers and fumes of incense the pageantry of it all gave him a dreamy sense of satisfaction and appealed to the medieval strain in him he was wont to say that he preferred the music at the carmelite church to that at the opera and that music could only be fully enjoyed in silence and under accompanying conditions of solemnity he had thus lightly explained to mary his presence in the chapel the first time when she had observed him quietly seated under the shadow of a pillar and evidently anxious not to obtrude his attendance and then she had smiled in grave sweet rebuke and had said ah the divine voice is speaking to you though you do not know it he thought of her words now and of the exalted look on her face a look that he had never seen in the face of any other woman though he had known several who were good and religious enough he thought to be angels on earth religion is much in your life he said abruptly yes she answered with her gentle seriousness it is a part of me or i am a part of it i mean she paused an instant and then added with some slight hesitation once you talked to me of giving up the sham court and the part of exiled princess you called it and indeed it often appears to me a sham and i am weary of the part that is when the world presses upon me and i see only the hollowness and the vanity of it in other moods i know that there is for me a reality in which nothing could change altogether well mr bellarmine i could not tell you and perhaps you would not understand how the religious feeling is mixed up even with what you call the sham royalty miss beaton he said earnestly i used the words only in the superficial sense i knew that you agreed with me too it was because i feel so so deeply about you and i cannot bear the idea of your being in a false position but in the real sense of course you do come of a line of kings and queens and nothing could alter what is in your very blood or make you different or less royal either by birth or nature and if you only knew how much i am concerned about you and how much good it does me to hear you speak in this way well she said still hesitatingly you know that it was for religion the crown was lost and perhaps it is a wild fancy but it may be that england will return once more to the faith which made her greatness ah yes it is so and she will dwindle and die new life is not put into her the life of religion 
I have a deep and a steadfast hope, Mr. Bellowman. Sometime, sometime, it may be long hence, truth will conquer. It seems to me that what you need now in England more than anything is the sense of religion, such as we Catholics have. Some of the old superstitions, as you would say, the dear, dead traditions of your men who lived for piety. I think England would be greater if there were more men in her like, well, like Lord Stonehenge. Why do you instance Lord Stonehenge? Because, I hardly know, because he is a very fervent Catholic, and the embodiment of all that past, all that I am talking of, but you wouldn't understand. Oh, you must not say that, exclaimed Rolf, in low-toned, almost passionate insistence. I do understand. He broke off abruptly. Madame, said Falcon grimly at Mary's elbow, Lady Saxon wishes to present the German ambassador to you. Mary's eyes, which had been fixed on Bellarmine's face, in a kind of wonder and tenderness, turned away with a sudden startled consciousness. Bellarmine got up. He felt a sick revulsion. Had Falcon overheard his agitated expostulation, and guessed the secret, his tone might well have betrayed? It would almost seem so. His face was so thunderous. Indeed, all the evening Lady Saxon had easily seen that there was something disturbing the mind of General Falcon. The symptoms would perhaps not have been noticed by anyone else, but they told the story to her. She saw that, for all his effort at politeness of manner, he was unable to keep his attention fixed on the passing conversation, and that he looked anxious and troubled when his eyes rested upon Mary Beaton's face. She saw that he sometimes glanced at herself, with the glance of one who has something he wishes to talk about, yet shrinks from saying. End of Volume 2 Chapter 9